Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film The Notebook. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast as we talk about a lot of other things and it's essentially just two best friends catching up every week. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. You might enjoy it anyway, but it probably helps you to enjoy it if you have seen the film. So if you do proceed, just be aware that this podcast contains light plot spoilers for the film The Notebook. Enjoy. There's no core. No, no, there's no core. We, we've established this. There's no core to the earth. It's just more sea all the way through. Yeah, all the way through. And the reason that the light doesn't shine all the way through is because, well, when that's the thing. No one's ever been able to shine light through that much water to test it. But there's some kind of force that stops the light from getting all the way through, like light gets trapped down. It's, it's either that or there are so many fish and so much, so many kind of weird creatures in there that they um they suck up all the light. Yeah, for sure. Like it's got to be it's got to be that. Yeah. Um there's just a big light-eating fish monster <laughs> somewhere down there. Yeah. It's um it's Paddy McGuinness as we named him Likey O Lighty. <laughs> <laughs> Likey O Lighty. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And now it's, it's like a sort of terrible um sci-fi film Paddy McGuinness's journey to the center of the earth. <laughs> i totally watched that you could have other um like saturday night tv hosts yeah all of them together you've got anton deck um jim davidson dies first in a triumphant blaze of racist glory uh, leaving the whole audience cheering as he gets devoured by some kind of just a regular shark he doesn't even make it down to the weird stuff yeah it's he, like a small he, rubbish shark. Yeah, it's like some away. rubbish shark, and he's like, that shark looks like it's Spanish. Fucking Spaniards. <laughs> and then and then it eats him, because he's a piece of shit. Yeah, he, I reckon he gets angry because he thinks the shark's gay, because of the way it moves. And he, doesn't, he doesn't like gay people, or gay sharks. Straight sharks don't move that fluidly through the ocean. It's yeah. blatantly a gay shark, and then it eats him. <laughs> they move in a straight line, because they're straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah then they get they get down to the core and they find that it's the ghost of bruce forsyth is living there and it's him that's sucking up all the light oh brucey yeah i could believe soul. that yeah i immediately thought of anton deck as well after you said that they're kind of yeah. like the go-to saturday night people aren't they even though as i established in a conversation earlier today with um Friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, I still can't tell them apart. Ant and or deck. Ant or deck, yeah. Yeah. I, I I can tell them apart. The tall one is ant, the short one is deck. Which one's got the big forehead? For me, it's all about the forehead. Ant is the forehead. <laughs> he's, not, he's not a person with a forehead, he's just the forehead. He is the forehead. Deck is the short one. <laughs> Who looks like he could be like the... He... he if if um you know how there's Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck yeah if Leonardo DiCaprio had a Casey Affleck it would be Deck out of Anton Deck yeah that's that seems fair yeah 
Yeah. That's the way I see it. I don't see I don't think that's too big an insult to old Declan Donnelly. No, that's all right. You know. Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck are both very, very good actors. Yeah. And I feel like at this point Ant and Deck are fine with anything, really. They've been through a lot. They're they still have. standing. They managed to survive getting paintballed in the face. <laughs> I never saw their film Alien Autopsy. Did you? No, I didn't see it. Wait, did I see that? I don't think I saw that. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I, I often have to think about whether I've seen terrible movies. <laughs> yeah, well, um, no, I was going to say that apparently I, it looked terrible, but apparently it wasn't that bad. Oh, really? That surprises yeah, me. Yeah, it wasn't like terrible, terrible, considering that it was just an Anton Deck vehicle. Yeah, maybe we should uh, see if there's any romance in it. Maybe, yeah. maybe Ant tries to romance a grey alien. <laughs> that I would watch. <laughs> There's yeah. a dead alien on a table and then Damien Rice starts playing in the background. <laughs> and then yeah, you just see Deck outside in the rain with a sad face. Can't take my giant black eyes off of you. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing i feel like that that line in that damien rice song is obviously borrowing from that song but it's kind of obviously not because it's a completely different style but yeah i love it but it, yeah obviously that line will always will always be for <laughs> i love you alien baby and if it's quite all right you'll abduct me baby to one of those space bound nights so pretty baby prove me now when i say <laughs> oh good times <laughs> but we're not here to talk about anton deck are we no we're not we will if we find out if there's any romance in it but to get down to the real romance this week we watched the notebook I we finally, yeah, we we finally did it. the The most romantic film of all time. Yes, that is one way of putting it. <laughs> How um, I should say as well, I um, I watched it. It's the first time I've not I've not watched all of the film at once, just because I've had a very busy week. I sort of I downloaded it onto my phone, and then I was watching it on bits of my commute and stuff. So I watched it in a bit of a disjointed way, which may well have impacted the way that I approached it. But um, what did you make of it? I enjoyed it about as much as I did the first time that I saw it. Oh, you'd um, seen it before, seen, right? I think yeah. I've seen it about three times. Um, okay. And each time I kind of feel the same way overall about how much I enjoy it. But there's different things that I pick up on that I like and different things that I dislike. So this time it was a slight, it felt slightly different to how I, how I felt about it before. Well, still... in, a, in a way, that's good because I think if you if you watch a film the second or third time and you only see exactly the same stuff, that's got to tell you that it's a bit superficial, right? There's always going to be things that you that you pick up on. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. I I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm I'm getting right off the bat here and saying, not giving my final score, but <laughs> I've never quite bought into the love of the notebook no i wouldn't say that i do necessarily either i think that's fair um and um a lot of it comes down to how manipulative it feels as a movie yep 
um, it it is like it is desperate to claw at your heartstrings like some kind of monster. <laughs> yeah, like it was it was summoned up in some kind of ritual in front of a mirror for the plot to this to this to the original novel by yeah. Nicholas Sparks. He he put some candles out, some red candles. He he drew some kind of ornate symbol in the middle of the mirror. Um started singing Damien Rice. <laughs> of <laughs> and, course. Yeah. And uh but in a very low tone. Um in some kind and of chant. And then a smoke started coming out of the tap of the sink in front of this mirror. Um he he uttered those words help me create the book which will make everybody cry. <laughs> and then that night he had fever dreams that told him the entire plot of the notebook. And he woke up in the morning and then he wrote, he wrote with a pen and paper until his fingers bled. And then he finished the first draft of the notebook. And that that's a true story. That's how it happened. <laughs> wrote it till his fingers bled. <laughs> that's how the notebook came to be. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Why why is it even called the notebook? Is it cuz you got the the very obvious stupid old people framing device which has been done a lot better in a lot of other films although I cannot think of any right now. Um like is it just called it because the old man reads to his obvious wife even though it pretends it isn't her for a long time from a notebook. Yeah, I think that's the reason why. It's because they the notebook is this storytelling device. Right, and there are like are there like one or two scenes where you see young Ryan Gosling writing in the notebook, but he's writing like poems and stuff. He's just he's just writing hate letters to celebrities he doesn't <laughs> like. This is pre Twitter days. So yeah, he yeah. He couldn't be like, "Oi, Anton Deck, I hate you." He he had to be like, I don't know, dear Rolling Stones, you suck. <laughs> I think it's even pre-Rolling Stones, isn't it? It's like the oh, 40s, yeah, it's and the 40s, 40s and 50s. Oh, yeah, it's the 40s and 50s. Dear some Glenn point, Miller. At some point, the Rolling Stones were going to be around. Uh, yeah. And that's when he struck and he started writing hate letters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, I, I think Ryan Gosling is handsome, obviously, but he some people do think that he has a slightly hateful face and I do find it hard to disagree, <laughs> or should we say, that he's good at having an angry face. So you could you could imagine him doing that. It wouldn't be a stretch. Yeah, I, I think I think Ryan Gosling, when he's about 70, is going to be pure angry jerk. <laughs> like, he's going to be like Jack Nicholson without the wolfish sense of humour. And he's just going to be going around just like pushing people over. He'll go on Cyber Graham Norton and like yeah. start ripping yeah. out Robot Graham Norton's circuitry. <laughs> and then he'll he'll sit in the chair, but he'll get up before the chair has a chance to to like tip him over because that's the funny thing that happens on Graham Norton. And then he'll just kick the chair. <laughs> he'll just kick the chair. I I do love. I have a real love for grumpy old actors yeah. who have more than earned their their place as a grumpy old man. Yeah. Um, in particular, I absolutely love Robert De Niro, and I love watching interviews with Robert De Niro. Um, he went on Graham Norton. Um, a while ago and one of the other guests was Tom Hiddleston who I'm a mm -hmm. fan of I'm a fan of, of old Tom um, and and for some reason and I don't know why Graham Norton brought up the fact that Tom Hiddleston does impressions of people 
Yeah. And there's this really awkward moment where Tom Hiddleston does an impression of Robert De Niro. And to Robert his face. De Niro, yeah, and Robert De Niro looks about as unimpressed as it's as it's possible to look. <laughs> like he's just found some mouldy ham in the back of his fridge. <laughs> it it's spectacular. Oh. Good old Bobby De Niro. Gotta love him. Yeah. There is something very, very compelling about when you're watching an interview and the person just has absolutely no time for any of the questions that are being asked to them. Yeah, I, I really dig it when, when you get those kind of interviews. Um, there was a great one with Cara Delevingne in the run-up to... Um, I've forgotten what movie it is, but one of the films she's done where they kept asking really inane, bad questions and she was clearly having none of it. And yeah, it's great. I, lo- I love it when that happens. because like, that was like, um, it, Paper Towns? Oh yes, yeah, Paper Towns. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's understandable as well because these people, like, they've just come off a very stressful filming period for this movie. They're now doing the very stressful press bit of it. And, like, they're being asked the same questions over and over again and they often tolerate answering those questions again and again and again. But then you occasionally get a an, an interviewer who starts trying to dig their claws in to try and, like, slightly piss them off and it's like this is not a time where you want to poke a bear this is a very tired human being who's like got up at four in the morning to appear on your bad breakfast tv show Hmm. like don't anger this person or it's not going to end well for you yeah yeah they have a lot of morning things in the u.s they have morning zoo radio as well where it's angry jock blokes at six in the morning yelling at someone it's like a thing you have to do but if you're promoting something, but it doesn't seem like much fun. Yeah, I can't imagine it's gonna it's gonna be much fun. I think when this podcast takes off, and then when Sensations gets made, um, we're gonna have to do that, aren't we? Yeah, we're gonna be answering the same questions over and over again, and I think that's the thing that make that like people find frustrating about interviews. Yeah, there's gonna be all those questions about how did you come up with Sensations, and like I think. The best way to get around that is to just lie and make up a different answer every single time. Yeah. Be like, well, I was really high one time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was off my head on smack yeah. when I was watching Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Guy Fieri deserves not just to be a TV sensation, but he deserves to win an Oscar. Yeah. And then I knew that I had to make it happen. Yeah, it was a vision. Yeah, I you know I think that that's how it's going to work. Or you could be like, I spilled a bag of peanuts and it made it turned into like a silhouette of Guy Fieri in the spillage, and I and I just knew it just came to me. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, but um, how how old is Charles Grodin? Because we've talked about getting him into the cast. I mean, he must be old enough now to be a kind of I've had enough of this shit grumpy old man character so maybe we should say that he's the only person associated with the film who's going to do interviews about it even though Guy Fieri would obviously love to do it and he'd be like I'm not saying this is the best film I've ever been in but this is the best film I've ever been in he'd be way too positive (laughs) we should just send Grodin to all of them yeah uh, Charles Grodin is 82 years old yes perfect that's ideal that's that's the perfect age isn't it that's the ideal age because also you can't be rude to someone who's over 80 because you feel like they might die at any moment. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to have to tolerate it. So like we prep him in advance and just like be as much of a scumbag as you possibly can to these people. Yeah. 
And to be fair, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. That would probably get more people interested in the film. Exactly. They're going to be like, what's this sensations thing? Charles Grodin just pulled down his pants <laughs> in the middle of an interview <laughs> for no reason Charles... and offered no explanation. <laughs> Charles Grodin just mooned the nation on Good Morning Britain. Yeah. <laughs> To be fair, when they saw that, they probably just thought they were looking at old Piers Morgan's face, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was kind of where that one was going. He's, uh, that's why I said good, good morning, Britain, and not BBC Breakfast. Piers Morgan is a is a proper bell end. Can, can I just a say terrible, that? terrible ass? I bet he has a terrible ass as well. I don't think anyone's <laughs> looked at looked at his ass and gone, "Oh, you know what? No. I want to slap that ass." <laughs> no. It's like the, it's just it's saggy. It's obviously saggy. Mm. I mean, I can't say I've I've ever seen it, but, but you, yeah. even as a young man, you bet that he had a poor bottom. Yeah, like a mediocre bum. He tried to get it toned, and he never could. He yeah, he couldn't get his bum toned, and that's why he turned into such a hateful man. He just wanted a nice bum, but it yeah. never came to him. <laughs> that's why he literally hates everyone and everything. Yeah, he's like. If if only I'd had a good bum when I was eighteen. Yeah, actually, now that I thought about this, I feel like I want to invest more time in getting Piers Morgan to interview our imaginary grumpy version of Charles Grodin than into <laughs> making sensations. It's all just a vehicle to get Charles Grodin to give Piers Morgan a talking down on Good Morning Britain. This is this is our um, firebird moment, bird on fire, falling from the sky moment. Is just to yeah. It, it's it's a shame that we hadn't we didn't manage to get rid of Piers Morgan permanently when he went over to the mm. U- US. I really thought that was it. Yeah, I mean, how how rubbish a TV host do you have to be to go over to the US and the US are like, nah, you know what, you can have him back. <laughs> you know what, this guy's <laughs> too much of a ball bag. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a country that has Alex Jones. You know, um, <laughs> he's that guy Sh- Sean Hannity. I mean, oh, you've, sure you've seen these people. Yeah. Bill O'Reilly. You're talking, I mean, these are news people rather than whatever the fuck it is Piers Morgan does. But, like, yeah, they are... In the, in, in the nation of Sean Hannity, they didn't even want Piers Morgan. <laughs> Sean Hannity, who... I think it's him. Who, there's a really famous clip where he's he's doing a news report and he, he just starts crying. And he's, he's like, I just love my country so much. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, it's... let's let's not waste any more time talking about Sean Hannity. No. No, let's 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 swiftly move back yeah. to the notebook maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, how do, yeah, how did we get on to Charles Grodin sensations interviews? Something to do with, Oh yeah, Ryan Gosling in interviews. I think he's quite personable in interviews at the moment. But people don't really bring up the notebook so much anymore because he's done a lot of work that obviously has surpassed it. It was a, it was a while ago, the notebook, wasn't it? 2004? Yeah, say? 2004 it was. Yeah. So he was young, and in the early scenes of the film, he's supposed to be 17. And you, you believe it with his little, his cheeky little boyish face. Yeah, he looks nearly 17, doesn't he? Yeah. It's close enough for you to gather, you know, okay, I can expect this guy to be a 17 year old. Yeah. A, a suspicious Jobsworth manager would definitely ID him if he was buying a bottle of vodka in Sainsbury's. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But most of the time he'd get away with it. Yeah, yeah, he, he'd he he'd get away with that bottle of vodka. 
<laughs> yeah, or Glenn's vodka. <laughs> or just a huge bottle of White Ace or Frosty Jacks. Yeah, nice, nice. No, no one over 18 drinks Frosty Jacks. But <laughs> that's a did, dead giveaway. <laughs> did you not... Um... Did you not used to drink Frosty Jacks at uni? No, I did. I did for yeah. the for the for the wonderful, yeah. you know, in terms of alcohol per pence, it was a very good deal. Yeah, no, my my preferred one was the cider that had the the like the ye olde font on it. Oh yeah, rather than Frosty Jacks. I don't know why, because um, Frosty Jacks had that kind of crispness that masked the the foul mouldiness of the apple taste. Whereas with this one, it didn't. It was really really pungent stuff. But no, I used to. Um, get bottles of that from the co-op um, and drink them with Will Quick and write weird songs about owls. That was a good time. <laughs> yeah, Frosty Jacks, like, it had that slight aftertaste of, like, paint stripper. Yeah. Which took away from the genuine fermented apple taste that some of the other cheap ciders had. Yeah. Um, you know what? We could do a whole other podcast reviewing cheap our memories of cheap cider. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm never going to drink that shit again, obviously, and you don't drink, but... Well, yeah, we I don't think we should, we should return to them. I think it should literally be we talk about how we remember these drinks. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be, <laughs> be a good time. But yeah, <laughs> Ryan Gosling in the notebook, 17 years old. So it starts off, it's like a carnival and he's like a carny kid or something, you think maybe. And and he's young and then there's there's Rachel McAdams, it's the fancy girl. And he, she's with obviously a fancy guy, and then he like jumps on the Ferris wheel apropos of nothing, um, having seen her once, and says basically he's like hanging by one arm, and he's like I'm going to let go and kill myself if you don't say you'll go on a date with me. What a charmer! How romantic! Yeah, um, I have problems with that scene, <laughs> as you might imagine. Yeah, um, that is that is some grade A bullshit right there. Yeah. And that scene sometimes makes it into these lists you get where it's like, you know, top 50 most romantic scenes or whatever. That's why I think I was so fascinated by this film is how often it's quoted on those kind of bullshit lists. Not that those lists really matter, but they they feel they intrigue me, you know? Yeah. And and, and what I find interesting is that there are some really, really lovely heartfelt moments in the notebook. And there's some there's like scenes of great passion and great romance and intimacy and things like that. But like it is, it's that scene that really gets picked up on a lot of the time. And it's like, no, that's that's an awful scene of like manipulation, of bullying, um, of like threatening one of the most abhorrent things you can to try and go on a date with someone who you've not even spoken to. Yeah. And it's and- it's yeah, it's 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 very odd. I find that people look at that and go like, "Oh yeah, wow! How rom- how romantic! Such romance!" Yeah, it is. yeah, wow! Such romance! Much Ferris wheel. <laughs> so yeah, it started on a sour note, obviously, with that, and then from there, somehow later on, he manages to persuade her to eventually go on a date with him through other means because she doesn't fall- she doesn't go through on that promise, which is good. But the the basic kind of idea that sometimes occurs in bad romantic films is that, um, or culture in general, is that if you if someone doesn't want to go out with you, but you persuade them and you work hard enough, you you can wear them down, which is you know obviously just a little bit too close to pickup artist culture for my liking. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least from my experience, love is not a war of attrition. 
Yeah. I can't think of any real life examples where someone has eventually worn someone down to go out with them. No, it's not really how it works. No. And also, it's also weird because, yeah, she somehow agrees to go on a... No, she doesn't agree to go on a date with him. She thinks she's going on a date with someone else or they both just show up with their friends and then they go to the cinema and they don't even say anything to each other and then suddenly they go out and then suddenly they're like, oh, let's go for a little walk and then, yeah, and then that's it. They're in love. Yeah. Um, And, like, it's another example of... um, And it's something that I had an issue with in La La Land. It's the development of a relationship shown through montage. Hmm. And that happens quite a lot in The Notebook, is there's huge gaps in time. Um, So, like, you see those first initial sort of, like, feelings of romance between them, and then you see a little little bit of like a montage about them seeing each other and having fun and then bickering and arguing and all of that stuff um and then like you and then for in terms of the timeline of the notebook speaking chronologically instead of the way that it's placed in 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 the actual movie you've got they meet they have a very intense relationship over a summer that ends badly then at some point in the future she goes down to see him they have a brief fling and then that turns into a real relationship and then you've got the huge gap in time until um they're old people and they die yeah and and like you don't and it's something i find very frustrating about a lot of romantic movies um that do offer up this sort of like an extended timeline that they don't really show um the, de- the development of a relationship and i know it's a very difficult thing to show in a movie it is a very yeah. hard thing to to portray when it's not something that you're living because you don't get the the in-depth knowledge of how someone works and how someone thinks and like how you think alongside them but it's still like you can do it better than this yeah and if it is done well then that's what i think what makes a really really good film because it's full of human intrigue and interest and complexity and layers that draw you in and it becomes really relatable and engaging whereas it felt to me like this this the writing phoned it in because all of the bits like that that were difficult and are harder to write like why are they why are they fighting now why is he pushing her in a lake or whatever or why is this happening or how did it get to this point those things are much harder to write um and it felt like they just skipped over that in favor of stuff that was easily emotionally manipulative yeah, for sure. I mean, speaking personally, I I don't consider it a true relationship until I've pushed my significant other in a lake. Yeah. Apropos yeah. of nothing as well. It's literally just let's go to the lake, push in, <laughs> then I leave, and then a week later I'm like, you are now my girlfriend. <laughs> and it's I, like I, um Luke and Jess and Gilmore Girls. <laughs> you know where he um, he's, he's, he's a really wide shot and he's walking along and then you just they're just walking along and you just see him just push him in the lake and then carry on walking <laughs> it has it has to be like that yeah, it has yeah, to be exactly. very silent yeah very considered yeah. yeah um yeah that that's how that's how real romance works paddy and and like i think that's something that that the notebook really captured is moments which make absolutely no sense but give you a heartfelt sense of romantic feeling yeah exactly <laughs> that's that's the, the perfect way to describe it actually a bunch of strung together moments that that give you know it delivers on romance there is romance there a man and a woman clearly love each other very much but yeah it doesn't it doesn't bring it together and all, all the jeopardy and stuff feels false doesn't it it all feels like 
well, maybe that wouldn't happen. Maybe it'd be a little bit different and that kind of thing. But yeah, a lot of the stuff you were just like, yeah, that wouldn't happen, particularly the ending. So obviously, spoiler alert. I mean, I always put a spoiler alert at the end of the podcast anyway. But the ending, they're both old and then they both die together. I mean, that's what you assumed from the ending, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They 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 both lie down and they both die together. I mean, that just fucking never happens. It doesn't happen. No. Um, unless they, you know, like killed each other together oh yeah maybe maybe it was like a a romeo and juliet type thing yeah but i don't think it was i think it's supposed to be a natural end to their lives together yeah um which you know it's it packs a punch but at the same time it's frustrating that it calls back to such a corny situation yeah because what what I find is if this movie was entirely corny all the way through, I'd have I'd just sit there and be like, oh yeah, fine, six out of ten, it's fine. Made yeah. me made me feel a bit sad, but like there's these moments in it that are really good. So like when old Noah is is he's put all that good effort, old Noah, good old uh, like yeah, good old Noah when he's when he's put all of that effort into that really wonderful romantic evening with Ali, and then like you feel as though he's made some kind of impact and he's made some kind of progress, but then she turns around and she, she forgets who he is. Yeah. And that whole scene is really devastating and it really packs a punch. And you're like, wow, this is really great. This one moment. But mm. then like it, it's off. That's offset by moments, which are nowhere near as good as that. That was a really great moment. Actually. Yeah. I think that was actually probably the most emotional point of the film. Mm. The bit I found most engaging because he cries yeah. Um, but it's not like a kind of there's loads of crying in the film god everyone's crying all the time but like his character up until that point just seems so kind of so cheerful so rosy and so kind of optimistic and positive you know the kids have come and been like dad come home she's not going to remember you it's not going to happen and he's just so he cheerfully brushes it off so his character up until that point has seemed like this huge optimist and then that's when you see that get shattered and the moment when you fight, you see someone's character changing in that way, but where it's not an improbable way, where it's like you've always known that it could happen, but you hope that it doesn't, and then it does. That's that's powerful filmmaking, and that's like good. That I think is is good character character changing and character development. But it only happens once to the whole character. The rest of the time, it's just a a cheesy plot tacked on, like the old people plot plot is really tacked on to me it just felt completely tacked on to a very very sort of sort of more i was relatively engaged with the ryan gosling story in the 40s you're like yeah that's that's cool that's quite an interesting period set piece examining class and all sorts of other things but yeah then you've got this old people bit tacked on because it's easy it's easy to pull those kind of sadness strings with old people isn't it it's like this is this is sad and you should feel sad now okay it felt like it was saying it to me just like that yeah yeah i i agree um and i i try to offset feeling like because because i think it's it is easy to to say like okay we'll put some old people into this movie and then sad things will happen and then that will immediately make people feel sad about it and like i often stand up and i go no i'm not going to fall for that trick this time (laughs) because statistically speaking those people would have voted for brexit (laughs) or trump in the u.s yeah or trump in the u.s and i'm like no no, 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 no. I'm not going to give those people my, my sads. Yeah. Noah definitely wants to make America great again. He does, but he wants to do it in a good way. Yeah. 
with with notebooks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his his son definitely looked like some kind of nonplussed member of the Trump cabinet who knew they weren't qualified to be there, but were there nonetheless because of some nepotism. <laughs> I really wish that I had some good nepotism going on. Yeah. I think I'd make a great Secretary of State. Yeah. Based on my zero experience. I'd quite like to be the Chief of Staff. You're just walking around, just telling people where to go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we'd be great in, in a cabinet, personally. Yeah. Maybe if Jacob Rees-Mogg takes over. Good grief. Um, Jacob then, then he might invite us in. Hashtag Moggmentum. <laughs> yeah, we probably we probably only have to say that like we, we hate gay marriage and abortion and we agree it with his kind of tea and scones, la-di-da version of Britain and we're in. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think we're we're a shoe in, yeah. for sure. I think I think we could definitely get in there. Yeah, let's talk seriously for a moment. Jacob Rees-Mogg is a fucking bell end. <laughs> that is absolute <laughs> truth right there. And like, it's funny because people are sort of treating him as some kind of joke in the yeah. same way as Boris Johnson. But you look at Jacob Rees-Mogg's voting record, and he's basically one of the most extreme members of the Conservative Party in terms of his voting. Yeah. He, he's a he's, proper loony. He's always been on the fringe and just somehow getting elected by the people of West Somerset. He's always been this kind of fringe, right-wing, upper-class mentalist. And now I think just through the wonders of Twitter and social media and stuff, he's managed to get a bit of a mouthpiece and get a bit of a following. And it, it really does kind of amplify these kind of people into minor celebrities. And that really can transcend quite easily into politics. I mean, there are a lot of people talking about how there is, I mean, there's this genuine movement to try and get him elected as leader, so much so that in the new, there's a news story today about how he made a comment about how he doesn't support gay marriage or abortion under any circumstance, which is obviously fucking abhorrent. But the headlines all said, Tory leadership hopeful, Jacob Rees-Mogg. He's never said that he wants to run for leader. No, None of the other Tories want him as leader. It's because a few 17-year-olds have hashtag mogmentumed that they want him to be leader. And that now becomes part of the news cycle. So it can fuck off and so can he. Yes, he's a he's a proper Jebend. <laughs> like, he's King Jebend. Jebend Rees Mogg. <laughs> Who, who's Jeb? That's what I want to know. I don't know. Jebediah Springfield. <laughs> Jebediah Springfield. I, mean, I assume that it's like Jebend refers to Bellend as the same thing. It's like a, like a penis. But you never refer to your penis as a Jeb, do you? No, it's true. But then do you refer to your penis as a bell at any point? Uh, no, I, I guess you don't, no. I, <laughs> I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast already, but I saw a tweet from someone saying that they thought bell end was an insult because the end of the bell is the the the, the least useful part of the bell because it doesn't <laughs> ring. <laughs> yes, I remember you saying that. <laughs> Which makes sense, you know. Yeah. But yeah, bell end, jeb end. Those are all words you could use to describe Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> That's Dictionary Corner this week. <laughs> yeah, there's only et- Etymology Corner, so we need to find out the, the, the origin of the word Jebend, and we'll report back next week. Dictionary Corner. What kind of words can you use to describe right-wing Tories? <laughs> oh, this, could be, this could be a whole podcast in its own. 
It could. Jeb End Corner. <laughs> Jeb End Corner. <laughs> yeah. Are there any Jeb Ends in the notebook? What do we think of um, her, the guy she almost marries but doesn't? What's his What's his name? Lon. Lon. <laughs> is it Lon? It is it's Lon, isn't it? Lon, yeah. By, by, played by uh, old anyway, Marsden. James, James Marsden. Marsden who, who I always mistake for either Henry Cavill or Killian Murphy. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I think they've all played Superman or something like Superman at some point, and I just I can't work them all out. See, James Marsden, he, he, he wasn't Superman. He was um, the rival romantic interest in Superman Returns. Oh, so he wasn't actually Superman. Um, I don't know if Killian Murphy has ever played a superhero. He did play um, the Scarecrow in the Batman movies. Uh, who's, um, who's the bloke from Smallville? Um, oh, that fella. Um, I, f- I feel like I mix him up in my head with James Marsden as well. James James Marsden was Cyclops in the X Men movies as well. Ah. Which might be where you're getting that that yeah. sort of crossover from. Um, Which I know because I like comic books. I should know all of this stuff, but I ain't a superhero guy, you know. <laughs> um, see, see, James Marsden's an interesting one because he often plays like the jerk, other romantic interest. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think there could be a place for him in Sensation somewhere in that role. Um, but in this movie, I really like Lon as a character. And yeah. like, don't you get the sense that he's like, he's ridiculously sympathetic to Ali. Like, with everything that's happened. He's willing to take her back after she's had the affair, which is something. Yeah. It's just like... It's yeah. It's it's very odd how calm he is about the entire situation, and like, yeah. and and it's interesting because like he, I don't think he's necessarily like, because he 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 plays this like romantic other interest in the film, but at the same time, there's not any rivalry that's set up between the two of them. As far as he's concerned, he's met this lovely woman that he loves. And they get married, and he makes her happy, and she makes him happy, and yeah. like it's almost like a more like sort of calm, relaxed relationship, and perhaps a healthier relationship than you've seen up to that point between Noah and Ali. Yeah, but th- their relationship's never supposed to be healthy, is it? You're supposed to see that as kind of unromantic. Yeah, but like, and then, but then the end result is that they're together for, for forever. Yeah, on the back of a relationship that up to this point has consisted of a summer of love, uh, an extremely harsh breakup, and then an affair. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting that you've got this much more standard relationship, and then you've got this one that in real life could be a very toxic one. Yeah, and that's the one that's then like the the sort of preferred beautiful romantic relationship. Yeah, and then when it gets to the point where they're together forever, you're like, well, is is that it? Is that the end of that bit? And now I have to endure twenty minutes of them as old as old people, um, with nothing else in between. When you know that if if that's the precedent for their relationship, there would have been some interesting turbulent times in between, probably. Yeah, but you don't get that because they just want you to be sad about the old people. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because you're completely right. 
the way that they've set up their relationship up to this point is as, as some kind of beautiful powder keg yeah um that could ignite at any moment but you then the you just get this sense after that that everything was stable after that point they don't tell you anything about like the mad things that happened after that no they tell you absolutely nothing there isn't even like a, a montage they could have spent two or three minutes having a montage in fact all of the time that they wasted on the horrible funereal sepia title sequence that went on for fucking ever. Like they, could have, they could have had like just some kind of montage of the intervening years that would have filled it in quite nicely. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. Um it would have been it would have been good if they'd done done something. I wanted to see Ryan Gosling with a paunch and a receding hairline in his forties. Yeah. Um like awkwardly like playing with a kid and stuff like that that's what i wanted out of this film yeah complaining Not about rob ryan gosling i wanted ryan gosling like he's had had too much barbecue over the years <laughs> ear hair scraggly beard receding yeah. hairline bits of barbecue sauce stuck in his beard <laughs> It's the you know it's the late fifties and into the sixties. He's a dad now. He doesn't care for the rock and roll music, you know. Yeah, he's like, who who are these BGs and what are they doing on my Radiola show? <laughs> I know I know what a disc is, but what's a disc? Oh, <laughs> that would actually be a film I think would be really interesting with Ryan Gosling playing the sort of conservative dad. Yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. I don't think he's going to age into paunch though. I feel like he's going to be he's going to be handsome his whole life. But it, he might get some paunch rolls depending on how we it can goes. Always, we can always put a fat suit on him. This is true. In fact, I demand that we put a fat suit on him. <laughs> and then get him interviewed on Graham Norton in a fat suit. <laughs> when I'm secretary of state, I will ensure that the old Trumpy signs <laughs> signs an order ensuring that at all times when in the public eye, Ryan Gosling wears a fat suit. Old Trumpy. Yeah. Which for our American listeners, um, Trump means to fart in, in England. So old Trumpy means old farty. Yeah. In no uncertain terms. Yeah. Old farty. Uh, what else can we say about Ryan Gosling? I mean, yeah, he's handsome. So they, yeah. So we've got to is what what haven't we covered? Which we've talked about the timeline of the film quite a lot. What have we covered? I've got to I've got to check my notes. So another thing I really I thought was good a good scene is you know it's the first time that he meets Ali's family when they're teenagers, and it starts dealing with the kind of the class issue mm. between them. Obviously, her family's wealthy, his family's not. Uh, and it never really goes much deeper than that. But there's at the dinner where they're all dressed up and fancy and he's telling them all that he, he works on whatever yard as a working man. And there's a guy who's like a youngish guy, obviously older than them, but he just kind of outright asks him how much he earns. And he's obviously very, very stunned by it. It's like, how much do you make at that job? And it's like, is this guy just curious? Is this guy ribbing him? You don't really know. But it's like the the way, the idea that the guy would just ask him like that is in such an abrasive way. And then the kind of silence that follows that really illustrated the class divide really, really well without saying, without them having to say anything or have any dialogue or have any stupid voiceover going, 
it was an improbable romance, which it literally does at one point. But um, yeah, I thought that scene was good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and again, you don't get that sense of whether he's... Because around that table, you do get a sense that some of the people there are there will will be mocking him, even if it's just under their breath. But with that one character, you don't really know if he's mocking if he's mocking him over it or if he's just genuinely curious about how the classes are separated which i think is a quite interesting way to do it yeah but again it never all of that stuff is just used to kind of create false or yeah false reasons for them not to be together rather than things that feel like that feel that feel natural or that or that are explored well it's like that's the issue, but then it isn't really because it's only a thing later on because her parents have a problem, but really the breakup happens because it just happens because she's going to college. It's never like, yeah, her parents are n- they never actually end up being like, oh, you can't see him at all. And then later on, there's a hilarious thing where I think well, it's when she's about to marry Lon and the mum, oh yeah, the mum has shown up at the house and found her and she takes her for a drive and she's like, I used to be in love with a working man once. There he is. Look how fat and, and lower class he is. Is that really what you want? <laughs> oh, and that that would have been the perfect point to put Ryan Gosling in a fat suit and age up his yeah. face. Oh, that would have been amazing. She has this kind of like vis- premonition of the future with fat old Ryan Gosling. Yeah. So yeah, that that scene annoyed me quite a lot, but I thought the mum's performance was actually quite good as the kind of harried southern mum, and it was sort of a humanising moment when she says, you know, I didn't get to have what I wanted because of the the class system or whatever, so you shouldn't either. But yeah, that that brought a little bit more nuance to the mum's character than I was expecting. Yeah, I think that's a very good scene, um, and it sort of it, it does kind of like show the the human side behind class divide and how that can affect people. Um, and yeah, I, th- I, I think, yeah, there's, there's, there's a really good movie struggling to get out from underneath the notebook from yeah. all of the scenes where it's trying to like make itself more like dramatic and more heartbreaking somewhere within there there's this nuanced movie that's just dying to be to be shared and like the mum is a is a prime example of that um and like she's a really good actress joan allen who who mm. plays the mother um i think the first thing that i saw her in was um pleasantville mm. ages ago which i don't know if have you seen pleasantville yeah yeah um which is a movie i, I think you love. showed it to me yeah. years ago um and and yeah like and and Another thing that sort of like makes this movie perhaps better than the script provides are the performances themselves. So like Ryan Gosling's good in it. I wouldn't say it's his best mm-hmm. performance. I know it's the one that kind of helped him break out, but I wouldn't say he's outstanding in it. Um Rachel McAdams I think is is really good. Yeah. Um we'll give her credit for it. And um and yeah, a lot of the supporting cast is very put in very good performances as well. Um, and like it, it does help the moments where this would feel like an incredibly sluggish film at the very least, the, the actors and actresses, they, they keep it chugging along very nicely because it's always compelling to watch when someone's on screen. Yeah. 
yeah i i don't know that i was bored at any point yeah they're definitely very very compelling very good performances it was the cinematically i think it was it was done just about fine everything looked the part you know there weren't any necessarily issues with that is yeah it's just they said the writing and said i think the way you put it of like there being a really good and complex and nuanced film and they're trying to make it out from under the rock and it doesn't is the perfect way to put it really it's so desperate to manipulate your emotions that it forgets about proper storytelling i Mm. think yeah which isn't to say that every film has to be complex and nuanced like we're not necessarily we're not going to be like snobs and be like every film has to be has to be infinite jest like uh, you know (laughs) i'm i'm the one who has a soft spot for adam sandler but like yeah that's just don't yeah don't try to do like hard hitting emotion at the expense of a good story either i think is the lesson we should take from yeah. this yeah like i mean i'm not going to say it turn around and say like oh you know what this arnold schwarzenegger action movie needed it needed more sort of like in-depth analysis of how his father treated him <laughs> it was was a harsh treatment in the military academy the reason why he ripped the jaw off that person in terminator was was the robot just crying for attention yeah um, i'm not after that in every movie the reason he think... shot a guy in the dick is because his dog died when he was five <laughs> he told that kid to put that cookie down in kindergarten cop um because of his own issues with weight yeah. and with healthy eating that had been instilled in him from such a young age yeah. by his own kindergarten teacher who was the real what? kindergarten cop yeah ladies and gentlemen who gave him cookie issues it was poor hollywood <laughs> bloody poor hollywood um so yeah i i i agree with that it just didn't it didn't quite make it i yeah i was i was reading the wikipedia page about the the casting and it literally just the kind of a weird thing about how people assess ryan gosling it literally says that the director uh nick Cassavetes, he where is it he wanted someone unknown and not handsome to play the lead Therefore, he cast Ryan Gosling. <laughs> that That's the most bullshit sentence I've ever read. Bear in mind that I've, I've read some articles about Jacob Rees-Mogg today. That is like... <laughs> he wasn't unknown. He was, wasn't he like a Disney kid? Like, that's not... That's yeah. re- this relative unknown as in like not being literally the biggest star or household name. But you can't say that he was unknown, and you can't say that he was not han- he's not handsome. Like no, that, he's always just, been a yeah. handsome guy, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, so let's have a look at what old Argos had done up to this point. So he'd been in lots of TV shows. Obviously, he was one of the Argos. Mickey Mouse, Ryan Gosling, Argos. Yeah, he, do you not, do you not Argos? Like, do you not like me referring to him as as Argos? No, because because it makes you think of Argos, the British high street shop that is is like no other high street shop and there's obviously a reason that other shops haven't done the same thing that it does with the laminated book of dreams because it's shit you wash your mouth out <laughs> i won't hear a bad word about argos. Are, you, are you an argos fan i go there every day and i look through the catalog pouring at the things i can't afford <laughs> on your lunch break yeah um, it was um yeah it was a bill bailey sketch years ago he was talking about it it was him who called it the laminated book of dreams and he says you know why the pages are laminated to catch the tears of joy 
yeah, for American listeners who don't have Argos, it's it's like a shop where, but instead of having things on display, they just have like this huge catalogue. It's like it's like a huge Bible, and so all the all that is in the shop is just all these catalogues. You go in and you just look through the catalogue, and then when you're ready, I think you queue up, and then you pay for it, and then you have to wait for it in this weird waiting area, or maybe you have to queue up three or four times. It's always confused me. Yeah, so what you do is you you go in and you look at this catalogue and you decide what piece of tat you want and then you go up and buy it and then they give you like a number and the order goes to like a warehouse at the back and then the people working in the warehouse at the back find what you want and then they sort of send it down some conveyor belts and it comes out and then someone gives you what you want. Yeah, it's almost like having a weird window on the process of online shopping the part that you actively avoid by shopping online it's almost the complete opposite of online shopping yeah yeah it's like yeah it's kind of like the precursor to like well not the precursor but kind of like some weird hybrid between like a mail order catalog and a shop yeah that doesn't serve either purpose (laughs) yeah um yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, is Argos. I mean, I'm you can really order sure. from them online as well. Yeah, but that would be defeating the object. That, that you know, is it really bought from Argos if you're not awkwardly waiting for your package? Yeah, in a room if, with lots of other very depressed-looking people. If you haven't had to find it in an indecipherable laminated book, it's not real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, going, so, yeah, going, I, going back to Argos. Argos. Uh, just make sure you say Argos, not Argos. J- not Jason, that you did. Jason but I was and having the Argos noughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> do, you, do you think Ryan Gosling's from Argos, the yep. the, the island? Not. Not the, there's only uh, there's only one in stock. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if you could buy Ryan Gosling in a mail order catalog. I think someone did look at buying me a cardboard cutout of him recently for my birthday. Oh mate, that would have been amazing. Yeah, still, still could happen. You can dream Christmas, cardboard car with a little Santa hat on. Yep. Um. So, so looking at his 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 uh, his uh, back catalogue, if you see what I did there, uh, of mm-hmm. of uh, movies. Um. So he'd been in a few TV shows. Apparently, he played Young Hercules in a TV show called Young Hercules. I don't know what that is. Um, if if it's half as good as Hercules in New York, I'll watch it. <laughs> Can we watch Hercules in New York on this podcast? Is there romance in it? I think there might be a bit. Yeah, you get to it. see Arnie Arnie fight people pretending to be Hercules. Um, so so anyway, Ryan Gosling. He was he had a minor role in Remember the Titans. Um, he was in a movie called The Slaughter Rule, which also seems to be about football. I've not seen oh. it. American Footsport. Yes, American Footsport. He's in a movie called The Believer, which I think is about like the KKK oh, and okay. stuff like that. I've not seen it, but I've heard it's very good. Not seen that. Um, and he's in. He was in Murder by Numbers, which is a murder mystery thing, um, starring. Uh, Sandra Bullock and Michael Pitt and Ryan Gosling and Michael Pitt are two high school students that try to commit the perfect murder hmm. and then Sandra Bullock is the detective trying to find out what happened basically interesting um, so up to this point 
perhaps he's not seen as a handsome man because okay he's played a couple of of foot sporters um traditionally very handsome men but he's also played a kkk member and a creepy high school murderer yeah not not traditionally leading man roles no so i I can kind of understand that position as like he's not well known and he's not handsome because like when was the last time you saw a member of the kkk that wasn't an ugly motherfucker (laughs) i don't know you've seen that david duke he's like a sexy (laughs) uncle I've actually no idea what he looks like, but I'm sure he's ugly as hell. Like, like for people who claim to be the master race, they are sure a lot of bumfuck ugly <laughs> motherfuckers, aren't they? Yeah, that's what I always I always find very very interesting about the neo-Nazi types. They're a very ugly bunch. They are. They're always really really ugly people. I've looked up David Duke now, and he looks like something that you'd find in a waxwork museum. <laughs> like like a slightly wrong waxwork of Crazy Frog. Yeah. Um, Which, to be fair, is Pepe, no less. Yeah, pretty much, actually. Maybe he is the real Pepe. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so Ryan Gosling, up to this point, he's, he th- this was his movie that made him a heartthrob. Yeah. So um, it's justified in that. So I'm grateful to it for breaking him out, I guess, and allowing him to come and do more and more heartthrob roles down the line. You know, so that's that's fair. I'm I'm thankful to the film for that, and I guess I don't know if it did the same for Rachel McAdams as well. Um, I mean, she she's very good, very good in you know Mean Girls. And have you seen um have you seen About Time? No, but I keep wanting to watch it. It's Richard Curtis, but yeah. I actually think it might even be his best film. It's one of his least emotionally manipulative, and kind of um, yeah, and cheap cheap films it's actually quite good it's actually quite engaging and does the ta- the whole time travel thing relatively well because she's got a thing about time travel doesn't she she was in the time traveler's right wife as well yeah there was um at, when i once worked in a pub i had a manager and the time traveler's wife was the only book he had ever read and he knew that i was um studying literature and he said um he every like every time I saw him, he'd be like, "Have you read the Time Traveler's Wife yet?" And I'd be like, "No, I haven't." And then he he eventually lent it to me, and I feel bad because I never read it, and I kept his copy of it. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, I I should definitely read it and then try and get it back to him, even though I haven't seen him in like ten years. I've heard it's good. I've not read yeah. it myself. I haven't seen um, the film either. No, no, neither have I. Channing um, Tatum. I can never remember what he looks like. There's something about the name just is really... It sounds really made up. What, Channing Tatum? Yeah. He's not in The Time Traveller's Wife, is it? Isn't it? Oh, no, it's... um Eric Banner, isn't it? Eric Banana. Yeah. Eric Banana. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't even... I can't get any of my actors right today. I'm in bad shape. <laughs> Why did I think it was Channing Tatum? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you fair. I can't remember what Eric Banner looks like either. He he looks like a handsome man. I like a bit of Eric Banner. All right. Um, but so Rachel McAdams has had an interesting career. It's funny because like, I think she's better than Argos in in this movie. Yeah. I'd, even though I love him as an actor, I would say that's fair. Um, and so after this, she was in Red Eye, which is the movie I absolutely love. I don't know if you've seen Red Eye. No, I've never seen it. Um, your mate Killian Murphy. Slash. Oh, yeah. Who did you My say? My boy. 
Who did who did you say you got? Uh, oh, Henry Cavill. With? Henry Cavill, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm sure looks nothing like him. <laughs> that doesn't look anything like him whatsoever. <laughs> Henry Cavill is this beefy jawline hunk, and like Killian Murphy is this cheekbones god with like cat-like eyes. If if I'd if like, I if I could I'd like have to be a, a beefy jawline hunk. If if I if I could have an affair with any man, I think it would be Killian Murphy. He is a he is a oh. handsome he is a handsome chap. Interesting. Um, but uh yeah, so Red Eye, um, she sits down on a plane and then Killian Murphy sits down next to her and the, there's all these sort of like there's like this kind of romantic tension going on, they're getting on really well. Um, but then it turns out that he like kind of kidnaps her on the flight. Um uh-huh. so he's like a hitman who's trying to um kill a politician and is basically threatening to kill her dad unless she does what he says on this flight and so most of this movie is literally just there on this plane and it's like between the two of them and it's incredibly tense it's great it's wow a really that great sounds movie. good yeah um from old wes craven horror, oh, yeah. horror god who that he was um and then, like, she, she's been in some really good films along the way. So, like, State of Play. She was in the Sherlock Holmes movies, which I quite like. Um, but, like, she never seems to have taken off in the same way that she probably should have. Yeah, I think she definitely deserves more credit for the films that she's made than she gets, I think. Or deserves, perhaps, like, bigger heroine roles. I don't know. She's a, a similar tier to Amy Adams, right? They mm. often get cast in similar roles. Yeah. And I also feel like she's very, very good and like both kind of potential Oscar winners, but don't seem to be as be as big stars, don't seem to be talked about as much as their male counterparts, for example. Yeah, and I don't know I don't really understand why, because Rachel McAdams, I've never seen her in something where I haven't thought she's put in a good performance. No, me neither. There's a really good film with her and Diane Keaton, I think it's called Morning Glory where they both work at a radio station and that's that's like a romantic film we should talk about that at some point that's very good and they're both very good in that Diane Keaton she's just like the the quintessential like really fun and sexy older lady in so many like recent films she's just great is that is that the movie that also has Harrison Ford in it it's possible yeah yeah it's been yeah. a while since i've seen it it looked pretty good i didn't i never got around to watching it but yeah so yeah, good performances from Gosling, McAdams, great cast, but yeah, it just it couldn't get out from under the rock of trying to tug at your heartstrings and trying to make you feel sad. Mm. That's my assessment of the notebook. So what uh, what are you? Have you thought of a rating scale? Oh, I don't. Or is know. there anything else you need to say? I don't. I don't think there's anything else. I, I just to wanted say. to mention actually one other scene that I thought was really good. It's a silent scene after the first time. So you've had a, a bunch of scenes where they've gone their separate ways. He's come back from the war. Obviously, his friend has died in the war because it has to be sad. They, they've come back um, and they're, she's doing her stuff about town. She's engaged to the sexy man. He's built the house. He's going around town. And um, she sees the headline in the newspaper that he's done up the house. And there's a picture of him for the first time. She faints. And the next scene after she faints, surrounded by all her bridesmaids or whatever, is just her in the bath. Um, she's looking at the article and she's just fiddling with the tap with her foot, not saying anything, doing anything, but that kind of that little like things that you do when you're distracted like that. I thought that was a really, really good way of showing that and showing 
the emotion that she was feeling behind that without having to say it. Like they just, that showed you, but it's so that's why it was so frustrating because it showed you that it was capable of of doing all these of showing and not telling, but then it told you everything. Yeah, I I didn't pick up on that, but you're totally right. Thinking back about it, and like that's the kind of thing you wanted more of in this movie, isn't it? Yep. Those little moments that hinted at a bigger picture. Yeah. Instead, you got lots of rain, lots of crying, lots of sad. I would um, like to just say something. Um, <laughs> I've seen on Twitter um, that. Kind are, you, of... are you tweeting right now? You think oh, I'm I'm skyping my idiot friend, and we're <laughs> and he's an I'm, idiot. I'm oh. subtweeting. Oh my god, you won't believe you what my podcast me? idiot has said right now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just no. something that just popped up now. Um, because I I flick between different things. Like I've got the IMDb page open, and I just absentmindedly flicked over to Twitter rather than the Google Hangouts app by accident. And something that's popped up here is is something that, that I think has impacted on me more than the notebook did, which is just uh, just a little tweet from some random person that uh, says, "It's a me, Mario." He says to Peach, her elderly eyes don't recognize him. Alzheimer's has done what Bowser couldn't. <laughs> well, that's that's the notebook in a Nintendo nutshell. Yeah, the Nintendo book. <laughs> I would watch that with Mario and Peach. Yeah, so would I. Did you know? Apparently, um, Nintendo of Japan's website says that Mario is no longer a plumber. Yes, yeah, I did see that. I was both shocked and appalled. Yeah. He's just a cool guy who does a bunch of different jobs or alternatively a zero hours contract gig economy worker <laughs> working to say, 10 jobs. This is gig economy right here. <laughs> yeah, poor Mario. Even Mario isn't safe. Yeah, it's true. It's, you know, the world is changing. Yeah, there's no good left. 2004 was a simpler time, eh? It was. You know, uh, people could watch a movie about two people in love and then dying. And it would be beautiful. Yeah, not so much these days. But yeah, rating scale. You got any ideas? Mm, I don't know. Um, how many fingers would you, fingers and toes would you dangle off the edge of a Ferris wheel to get a date <laughs> with the notebook? <laughs> So yeah, that's like well, you you could, if you went all twenty, you'd be dead. But obviously, neither of us are gonna <laughs> neither of us are gonna give it twenty out of twenty. I think no, we can I, safely say I, that. I don't think we're gonna re- be reaching twenty yeah. out of twenty. Um, I would dangle nine. So not even oh, wow, not even my whole toes. So you got one foot, and then I'm holding on with both my hands and just one big toe, which would probably look really weird. It would look like I was about to take a crap. <laughs> That's a beautiful mental image, Paddy, I've got to say. Now will you go out with me? <laughs> now will you go out with me? Or I'll fart on you. <laughs> oh yeah, which way am I facing? If the arse is facing towards the, <laughs> the carriage. <laughs> what a charmer. <laughs> um, that is another Rob's romantic tip for you all. Threaten to fart on people to get a date with them. 
<laughs> works every time. It does. It does. It's a it, it's a accurate way to try and try and get romance in your life. It's yeah, threaten yeah. people with bodily functions. You know they they talk about a meat cute. It's like a fart cute. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, I yeah. I would I would I am I am a little bit surprised at how low you've gone with the. Oh network. really? Yeah. Um, there's still a lot about this movie that I like. I feel it is overly manipulative in a way that I didn't entirely get on board with. So, like, I don't know if you've seen Me Before You. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I don't think... I think Me Before You is a better better perfection of this kind of manipulative tearjerker than mm. The Notebook. Um, but Me Without You ended quite well. It did, yeah. Now, it had a quite think, a satisfying it up sad quite, ending. Quite nicely. Um, and so I would... Uh, I'm going to go for a 13. I'd get rid of okay. 13 of my digits. I would not be showing my ass to them. <laughs> I wouldn't be threatening them with a yeah. fart. Um, but I wouldn't be dangling just the one arm off. I'm not that desperate to get a date with the notebook. No. You've still got you've still got most of your two-handed grip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not I'm not risking anything on the notebook. You're not in any danger. Yeah. Cool. Um, maybe I think I think I I didn't go into it wanting to like it. Mm. I don't know why. I just I felt I felt like I wasn't going to like it and then when it turned out to be very manipulative I was like, yeah. Although to to be honest, I didn't decide to go I wouldn't have decided to go that low if it wasn't for the ending. I think how you suddenly like their relationship was all fine and I was like, oh, "Okay, maybe we'll get some more of their their life, maybe yeah, we'll get a bit of a montage of that, but no, it's like twenty minutes of the old people stuff, and I was just like, "Oh God, really? That really spoiled it for me, actually." Mm. Yeah, I can see. I can see why. Um, I didn't mind the old people stuff too much, but I did find it quite jarring between the two. Um, and it is like it. It's a movie that feels like it should be on a happy note, and it's not. Yeah, and it's got that kind of bitter sweetness with the emphasis on the bitter. Yeah, um, because it's such a it's supposed to be such a huge like great love story, and then when that pays off and they get together, it's like huge elation. But then yeah, all the all that elation is sucked away by the by the cloying sadness of the of the old people ending. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I can't go much higher than that. I don't really want to go lower than that either because I still find it an engaging film and it's very well made, yeah. and the performances are good. Um. Yeah, so so thirteen. Fair enough, I'd say. So, yeah, I'd I'd agree. There are things to like about it, but yeah, that ending spoiled it. But the good news is, we never have to watch it again. <laughs> Unless, actually, would you rather? Actually, no. Now that I know your score, I was going to ask you, but I think the answer would be obvious. Would you rather have to watch this every week for a year, or the Bridges of Madison County? <laughs> oh bloody hell! I would I would watch this every week for a year over the Bridges of Madison County. Oh, I'd much rather watch the Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> I suppose with the Bridges of Madison County, there's more to like poke fun at. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, but this, I find it a more interesting film. Whereas the Bridges of Madison County, literally nothing happens. This, yeah. this, this stuff does happen. And I think that, that's a quote they can put on the new Blu-ray edition of the note, isn't it? <laughs> Stuff does Stuff happen. does happen. <laughs> Big boys don't cry. <laughs> yeah, we should we should get our, our our quotes on more more DVDs. I think that's where the money is. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Yeah.
Yeah. Um, on the bridges of Madison County, it would be Paddy liked it when Clint Eastwood said, fuck on the linoleum. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Excellent. Excellent oh. stuff. I feel like I'm, I'm, I have to just keep bringing up the bridges of Madison County to troll you every episode. <laughs> I can look back on it fondly. I I did not like the movie, but I think I enjoyed chatting about it quite a lot. Yeah. So um yeah, so I'm I'm all good. I'm I'm it good was, for you to bring that movie up. <laughs> it was a good one to talk about. It was. Um yeah. And then yeah, what we should do is we should also try and like not on air but at some point we should rank all the films that we've done and then decide which one we would least like to have to watch every week for a year. Mm. Yeah, because strangely, quite a good test strangely enough, I think um, Wills and Kate would not be near the bottom of the list for me. No, not like, at all. There's, I, there's, I think that would be a lot of fun. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, yeah. There's lots to take care of in that film. Yeah. Cool. But anyway, what's next? It's your choice. So, time for a little bit of film history for you all. Oh, okay. Um... So 2004, we saw the release of The Notebook, seen by many as one of the most incredible romantic movies of all time. But for me, at least, the release of The Notebook came too late. And just one year earlier, an incredible romantic drama was released. Transatlanticism by Death Cab for Cutie. (laughs) (laughs) My favourite album. Oh, you spoiled it. We're going to listen to an album over and over again. (laughs) Um, I think it was 2003. Maybe wrong. But, anyway, go but, on. But there was this great movie that went under the radar, and like over the years, it's got this cult following, um, and lots of people are are really getting into it. Um, there's even a movie being made about the making of this film. It's proved to be such a cult smash. Um, oh, and I it, think I know where this <laughs> is going. And and what's great about this film is that it is the passion project of just a single individual who wrote it, who directed it and starred as the lead actor. And, and the movie I'm talking about is, of course, the greatest film of all time, The Room by Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew, I kind of twigged eventually where you were going with that. <laughs> I forgot it was, as, as long ago as 2003. 2003, wow. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as, as film podcast people, I think it's kind of obligatory that we talk about The Room at some point, isn't it? So I'm quite I'm quite glad you got that. And I feel like... Although a lot of people have obviously talked about the room in popular culture and covered it, it's almost gotten to the point now where it's maybe in a bit of a lull. It's not, no one's at like peak room fever right now. So it's probably quite a good time to be revisiting it. Yeah, because yeah. the, the Disaster Artist, which is the movie about the making of the film, that comes out in December. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm very excited for that. Yeah, so I think. You've read the book, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. It's honestly one of my favourite books ever. I might actually oh, really? reread it. Um, it's such an amazing story, told really, really well by Greg Sestero, who's the other guy, who's the only guy who stuck with him through the project. But yeah, his descriptions of Tommy's personality and how they they kind of get together and he sort of weirdly... You get the sense that he really loves Tommy as a friend, but he's so weird and so strange and so focused on this goal. But yeah, the way it delves into their relationship is so utterly fascinating as a piece of as a, a work about human friendship and intimacy but also about yeah just it's as a, a study a study of humanity I, it's an amazing book i can't recommend it enough yeah definitely get on it but 
also whether you've seen the room or not yeah for sure um but i would recommend everybody watch the room if you've not seen the room before this episode take the time to watch it because it is it is something else you will not have seen anything like it it's an unbelievable film it's brilliant i love it yeah so it's been just long enough now since i last watched it yeah it's it's been a while since i last saw it so i'm very excited to watch this movie again yeah I think I've seen it enough times now that I will I can quote most of the lines along and like I know when he's going to go oh hi doggy or whatever but it's still it's still going to get me. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a movie that never loses that ability to surprise. Yeah. All right, good choice, man. Good choice. It's definitely a, a good place to go after the notebook, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for for certain, for certain. Ah, nice one. Cool. Right, well, there's no other bits of follow-up, so I think that's going to do it for us. But if you have um, if you have anything, as ever, tweet us at BigBoysDon'tPod or email us, BigBoysDon'tCryPodcast at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, get in touch. Tell us what you thought about The Notebook. Yeah, and sure. um, And uh, tell us what you think about The Room as well. Yeah, we want to hear all about it. Mm-hmm. Who's your favourite character in the room? There, there's so many choices. <laughs> do, uh. do you do you think Tommy Wiseau's bum is a good bum? Do you <laughs> think it's a Piers Piers Morgan? Get in touch. Would you like your bum to look like yeah. Tommy Wiseau's bum? I bet. Yeah, in, in in a bum off, I'm sure that Piers Morgan would lose. Well, but of it'd course, be an, it'd be an interesting competition. Piers Morgan would lose in a bum off with Jabba the Hutt, and Jabba the Hutt <laughs> doesn't even have a bum. <laughs> Well, yeah, he's kind of like one cheek. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good times. L- listeners, yeah. do you think that Jabba the Hutt has a bum? Yeah. What and how is Jabba the Hutt? <laughs> That's our question How to is you. Jabba the Hutt? <laughs> what, how and why is Jabba the Hutt? <laughs> Answer those questions and you'll win a prize. Yeah. The prize of which is listening to us talk about the room but only talking about the saxophone music that plays during the sex scenes oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yep 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 that'll be a good episode all right until next time bye bye <laughs>